Hello and welcome to the 122nd episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spawn.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Tethered by Secret Sorcery. Nigel, who are you? How do? And what do you do? Hi, my name's Nigel Kershaw, and I am a game designer, I think is the yeah, technical term <laughs> of what it is, but uh, been been doing game design for what twenty eight years now. Oh, it's, so that's, that's 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 a mighty number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, which then leads me on to my next question. So well done for linking that, and also yeah. well done for answering the first question. Well, a remembering <laughs> your name and b what you do mm-hmm. for a living. Yay. Yeah, yeah. We start off. This game has a difficulty curve, just like video games. Starts off really slow, and then mm-hmm. it peaks at the end to the point where Chris, I'm never been in a show again. You're a horrible human being. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so let's do the first level. It's the first half. Who we say? How did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games as opposed to board games, which you and I both love to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, actually, it, it's sort of related to um, sort of pen and paper gaming, really, in okay. the fact that. Back in the late 1980s, I'd recently dropped out of university. I was doing a computer science course um, and hated every moment of it. It was all about databases and working with mini computers. It was horrible, 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 horrible. I hear these stories, don't you, about Mm -hmm. that time when people wanted to make games, but the academia was like, why would you want to do that's a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, my O-level projects, this is even before I started in games, so my, my final O-level computer studies project, I wrote a text adventure, verb-noun text adventure, set on a, and it's kind of based on the thing, sort of a, set on an ice station in the middle of the Antarctic with lots of weird things going on. And the game did everything I was asked to do in the project. It, it did all the, you know, got to use subroutines, it's got to use, you know, import data, it's got to be well commented, it's got to use variables and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and my tutor marked me down, and I think his words, I can't remember it so long ago, but was along the lines of, I've marked you down because even though you did exactly what I asked you to do, I don't think this sort of work is appropriate for a, a, an appropriate use of computers, and you'll never make anything of yourself by writing games. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, does th- th- that reactionary nonsensical thinking mm-hmm. deeply mm-hmm. ingrained and has yeah, been for yeah. decades computers are serious tools serious tools they are not there for someone's entertainment and mm-hmm. like really space war in a yeah, yeah. dirty great mainframe machine mm-hmm. that cost you more than the hundreds of years salary that you'll ever earn absolutely with, you know and you're telling me those scientists those brilliant brilliant scientists Mm-hmm. wasting their time absolutely well, it, it, and it's all down to that kind of, we have as a, as a as a species we have a propensity towards play yes. so we'll always find some way of playing on whatever thing we have to hand yeah whether we're, that's we're, a stone or a you know a several million pound mainframe that's that's yeah but you can just talk it up there to um oh okay we're well, just a reactionary jerk yeah. that um mm-hmm. not worth, worth my time so let us ask did you program it from the ground up or did you use Quill or something? No, from the ground up using BBC okay. Basic, 
on the BBC Model B. It that was. Must have been, you must have used a database for that one. Yeah, you must have done. Mm-hmm. That's quite impressive mm-hmm. for low level. Wow. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's and and cool. to be honest, it's probably the most complicated piece of programming I've done since, uh, ever, <laughs> since that point, really, to be honest. I'm not really a coder. I'm no. a game designer. No. So fast forwarding a couple of years, yes. dropping out of university, bumming around, doing the whole late 80s, growing my hair, getting into girls and music and drugs and yeah, all that sort my, of stuff. My first, uh, my first concert was in 88. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <laughs> I was I was big I was a big into Dungeons and Dragons on and role playing games at the time, and at the time I used to run. Um, I, I was always, in fact, I've always been a, a games master. I've always been a referee of tabletop games, and at the time I happened to run a few sessions of a role playing game for some people that I sort of knew, didn't know them that well, and it turned out that they worked in video games, and they realised that you know they came back to me and said. Actually, our boss is looking, he's wanting to do an RP, a computer RPG, and he's looking for a game designer. Do you want a job? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I too am a DM it. as well, actually. Mm-hmm. I run a DM, I run a game every Saturday at the moment, mm-hmm. which is a tremendous fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, I still, I, I don't do it anywhere near as much as I used to. I mean, it's the sort of thing that, you know, you think back and think in my teenage years, I used to spend all my waking hours playing role playing games, and you think, Christ, how on earth did I yeah. find? in the time to do that but but yeah no so it's basically i came into video games through dungeons and dragons um and i I blagged my way through the interview and i've been doing it ever since 28 years wow who was that with may i ask so it was with a small little um outfit called imagitech in uh uh a dump of a town in the north of it in the northeast of england in yorkshire called dewsbury and they did a lot of stuff for uh, micropros and things like that. They were primarily a conversion house. Uh, so basically we'd convert a lot of the big uh, American titles to um, European platforms. So like Spectrum, Amstrad, stuff like that. It would take sort of Commodore 64 versions, convert to Spectrum, Amstrad. But the boss was quite keen on doing a an RPG. He used to realize that you know, he loved computer RPGs and he wanted to write his own. So lo and behold, we did. It took a very long time. It wasn't very good. It's called Demon's Gate. Um, I had no idea what I was doing at all. Um, but we got a game out. We released a game. It took us a few years to get it out there. And um, it did all right, I suppose. I look back at it now and I cringe. Um, you know, but again, that's you've got everybody's got when to start did it, somewhere. When did it come out and on, on what did it come out? Oh, good lord. So it must have, I'm trying to think when exactly. 91, 92. Yeah, sort of a very early 90s, published by Game Tech in the States. Oh, god, them. And yeah. <laughs> um, was primarily on the PC. Right. We were doing an Atari Lynx version, bizarrely. Oh, that's cool. um, yeah. But I don't think that ever came out. That was heady days, wasn't it, in the early 90s? Because mm-hmm. that's when mm-hmm. Doom arrived. And everything- oh, yeah, Doom, Doom was late. I mean, Doom was kind of... I was, I, so I, 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 was, I remember Doom because I was at Ocean. By the time Doom came out, I'd moved on to working at Ocean. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's a thing, isn't it? I mean, everything just changed. Everything. Like, what is this game? I don't know, but I'm shooting people in the face with it. Excellent. Because that was yeah, one yeah. of the earliest land games ever was, was doing. Mm-hmm. And the whole move to 3D. In fact, I remember the first um, 
sort of 3D multiplayer game. It was two-player game. Was playing stunt car racer with a, a serial lead connecting two Amigas together, actually, and that was an epiphany. That I, was amazing. I actually did that uh, at a show this year, um, Retro Revival, but it wasn't an Amiga. It was an ST and an Amiga. Right. Okay. And they were like mm-hmm. using it as awards. It's like who can prove the best machine? Like stop it. <laughs> Clearly, the ST was better. No, no, I'm kidding. But uh, no, it's uh, th- th- so you want, we moved on to Ocean then, and it's still as a game yeah. designer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still okay. as a game designer. Yeah. Um, and th- this was the time when Ocean was in very much a transitionary period. That basically they they milked the whole. So they they had the, all their early day successors, and then they'd moved on to sort of basically hoovering up every movie license they could lay their hands on. Um, because they were quite cheap. I think at the time that um, Hollywood didn't really realize the significance of video games and would basically quite happily just sell on the licenses to various, to Ocean, who hoovered stuff up. So they did basically all the Jurassic Park, the Untouchables, all that sort of stuff. And I joined just after that point when they were, when, when I think Hollywood had wised up. And so basically they priced out the, the sort of licensing fees out of Ocean. And Ocean were basically in a transitionary period and we came along and their their remit was we want you to go away and write some epic games and they divided up into a few different teams and i i was so i I was given one of the teams to do a game that never came out uh but it's the game that i learned so much on this game where i really cut my teeth on and obviously in some ways games that never see the light of day or are are sort of technically a failure are the ones where you learn so much from it. The game was called um, HMS Carnage, and it was very high concept, um, but kind of cool, but just so ambitious for the size of the team that we had and the hardware that we that we were using. It was basically, it was kind of like a steampunk carrier command, is the best way to describe it. Um, oh, wow, where you, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I loved carrier command. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a fantastic game, but nigh on impossible to complete. But yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you you were you were basically in charge of all the various vehicles on board this giant um, dreadnought, this big land battleship um, that was travelling across the surface of Mars. It was all very steampunk, very sort of um, before steampunk was was fashionable, really. Uh, very much lots of uh, very Victorian, very pip pip tally ho, very lots of we used. A hell of a lot of FMV when FMV was really big. In fact, I think at the time we were probably one of the most expensive film shoots ever to be done in Manchester. We had a full team of actors on blue screen. Uh, we were using we had a, a, an SGI Onyx machine to do all the rendering. This was back in the days where it was like super expensive to do any sort of you know you had to pre-render everything. Um, so we had a full set of like probably nearly two hours of FMV to go with it, and it was it was good but just insanely ambitious. But then my defense was that that was my remit. I was told to go away and write an ambitious game. Yeah. But at the time we kind of, it was kind of champagne tastes and beer money though, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, and also uh, FMV and it was, wasn't really properly understood. I mean, I remember playing, no. um, people say rebel assault was a good one. Was it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. If you play it now, it's like, Oh God. <laughs> the FMV was there as a storytelling vehicle though. The FMV was there for the cutscenes. The game, game itself was actually 3d and that's kind of one of the problems that really hurt us because we were there just at the time where we started doing it in 3d and kind of 486's vga was kind of where you started at and then as through the development cycle the pentiums came along and then mmx and then suddenly 
well into development, the 3D effects came along and changed everything. Yeah, I mean, that, that, so, that path, I mean, people didn't live through mm-hmm. it when I, you mm-hmm. and I did. It's like, I'm sorry, there's a new card every 20 seconds. Yep, you, yeah, uh, yeah. So we, we were rewriting our low-level engine yeah. pretty much every six months. You know what I mean? Because every six months, it would be our graphics would be out of date. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the reason that, you know, we didn't have enough staff. We were overambitious and just the hardware kept changing under our feet. Terrible. Um, Terrible. In my defense, I mean, in my defense, I think it's kind of, uh, I think somebody confidentially told me a little bit later that actually we weren't a failure because HMS Carnage and the, all the FMV and all the fancy graphics was one of the major reasons, uh, one of the major selling points when Ocean sold out to Infocom. Infograms, sorry, infograms, oh, wasn't they it? Wanted that game. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is so, uh, and it was, it was very much so. It made some people a lot of money, even though the, the game never came out because the ocean directors wanted out at that point. Um, and you know, we were, we were so. In some ways, we were a failure. In some ways, we made lots of people lots of money. I learned a hell of a lot from it. The game never came out because basically, once, once Infocom bought Ocean and they started looking under a hard lens, they they really didn't get the whole steampunk thing. Um, it was very, very pip-pip, tally-ho, very kind of riffing on all kinds of old Ealing comedies and old black-and-white British war films, lots of cricket references, uh, and just these kind of French producers were like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but also, what? it's interesting because you get games like Dishonored now, which has mm-hmm. inklings, or more than inklings. Yeah. And you just think, Yeah, and it's on. one of those things... Mm? And you also see oh. um, uh, Assassin's Creed set in London. Yeah, yeah. Like... Absolutely. <laughs> so, so in some ways, I, I, it, it was right to have failed because we were, you know, we were well over ambitious. But it's interesting that we were kind of ahead of the curve in terms of sort of genre and styling a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, what the hell? It was. Um, it was. It was a great time. I, I don't regret a second of it. Uh, and pretty much. It sort of it grounded me very much as a game designer. You know, what I mean, it told me how to temper sort of ambition and um, scale and scope. With actually, none of that means anything if you don't release some, anything. Yeah. You know, what I mean, it, it's yeah, kind of you, it's, you don't want to do a Molyneux. Right? <laughs> finished, not perfect. That's the that's my mantra. Finished, not perfect. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, the eighty twenty thing and all that that that, that mm-hmm. stuff. It's People say this stuff and they intellectualise it, but some people don't embrace it or don't actually act on it. Mm-hmm. It's a weird human mm-hmm. condition, but uh, yeah, it, people know these things, but they don't seem to act on it. And, and I, yeah. Absolutely, and I think it's people underestimate game development. They think, you know, when you tell people that I'm a, you're a game designer, the first thing they say is, oh, well, I've got a great idea for a game. And But the point is that it's like, yeah, well, so do I. I have dozens and dozens of ideas every day for a game, but that's not what being a game designer is about it's not about having ideas it's about realizing those ideas about taking those ideas and breaking them down into the component parts and testing them and realizing that actually you know because the game the, the idea of a game that you have in your head is a perfectly formed game there's no flaws in it there's no problems with it there's no development costs there's no scale or possibility in there it's just this imagined perfect game and then the skill of a game designer is, is taking that imagined game and, and forming it into something that actually can be done and is tangible and is real. Yes, yes. That's the implementation, actually getting it done. Everyone's got freaking ideas. I mean, to quote Christopher Hitchens, and this may be a bit disingenuous, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do it anyway, but he, he did this wonderful thing. It says a lot of people do, you're right, people do say that everyone's got a book in them. 
However, mm-hmm. some people don't understand that that's where it should remain. <laughs> yeah. No, um, but, um, so you moved on. That was my ocean days, pretty much. So then you moved on from ocean to where? I mean, do... okay, from ocean, I then bummed around on the dole for a while because you just need to do that for a bit. Uh, and I got a job at Cygnosis. Oh, bless them. Um, so I was at I was at the Cygnosis, which started off as Cygnosis Chester. So I, I kind of had the set the, the wind knocked out of my sails a little bit at that point. Yeah. So I, I can HMS yeah. Carnage time, I was the kind of I was the producer and the game designer and the face of it, and I did loads of TV stuff and all kinds of stuff like that. And I was kind of like on this kind of accelerated curve of I am awesome. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean yeah. Actually having a can from under you think, Am I awesome? No, I don't think I am. So I joined Cygnosis as a box standard game designer and worked on a game called lander which was a basically 3d thrust is the best way to describe it in space it's a great little game insane uh, um learning curve to get into it the control mechanism it controlled a little bit like um zark and virus oh god yeah control yeah. sort of thing so really hard to get into it but once you get into it it was amazing you could do incredible things with this this thing yeah 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 totally totally <laughs> so lander was um basically the last game out of the manchester studio so they were they it started off as the chester studio then they moved it to manchester this was just after they'd sold to sony right and it still signosis so and i think there was like five games in production at the manchester office all of which had been dragging on for ages um and it was the time when they basically just said right okay we're canning the studio everybody's redundant apart from you eight guys because uh, i don't think we're on a team of about 25 and they kept eight of us on to finish lander which we did um and it's a great little game quite um uh, come out on there was it pc or something like it was pc uh primarily well yeah okay. pc yeah it's all right i don't recognize it at all so no, it, it kind of it was a bit of a stealth release. I think it was the time where it was basically Sony weren't that interested in Cygnosis doing games for anything other than the PlayStation. Yeah, and uh, um, yeah. Okay. so it kind of got stealthed out. But it's a great little game. It's all right. I really enjoyed working on it as well. I mean, that kind of that was the first one where I really got into level design and scripting and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I, I was just a jobbing um, game designer and basically just got my head into actually doing the nitty gritty of what game design is all about, which is about sort of getting your hands dirty and creating gameplay rather than writing huge game design documents and sitting in an ivory tower, you know, sending out your diktats to your team of how it should be. Right. So that, it really grounded me as a game designer. Okay. So from Cygnosis, I then went to, uh, particle systems. Okay. Uh, in Sheffield, which is they were doing the Independence War. Oh, Big. I remember that. Yeah, it's a good game. I enjoyed it anyway. I did it in so I was lead designer on Independence War Two. Right. Um, well done, that man. Really, really good games. Hard to get into. Yeah, yeah. Big, yeah, big. Lots of crazy Newtonian physics. Big, prawling, sprawling, hard sci-fi scenarios. Yes. I mean, I, I love space stuff. I mean, I, 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 I oh, kind of my, my element right now, then. Bloody yeah. Hell. <laughs> so, so my, you know, my, I, I, I've, I've been a big sci-fi nerd for many, many, many years. Yeah. So it, that was kind of like that was a bit of a, a labour of love. Um, enjoyed it again. Really enjoyed that. You know, building worlds, building solar systems, creating 
just lots of interesting space-based game mechanics and stuff like that. And the interesting thing with that is that that we rather than have any con- it was kind of open worldy, but rather than have an economy, we had a kind of pirate economy there. So everything was done through barter, mm. which, which is quite nice. I quite I don't think anybody's done anything like that. So it's kind of if you want this big shiny space gun, you've got to go over there and get me this. Yeah. And to get that, you have to someone else, someone else will is happily give you that, but they want something else, and then you've got to track down the ships that are carrying the right cargo and steal it off them, so you can go start doing this whole kind of barter system stuff. Glorious, it's really cool. Glorious game. I have to play that. I've, I've um, still had it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well done. And uh, so then from there, you moved on to other things, and uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. So from there, I went back after about eighteen months. The guys, the team that finished Lander set up a company called Brain in a Jar. Right. Um, which is a little startup, and we got a um, deal from Acclaim. Um, I mean, there's a whole liturgy of, of, of studios shutting down and things like that, but but basically we got a deal from Acclaim to write a racing game based on the Ferrari license, and then Acclaim went tits up. It did, yeah. Uh, and we basically managed to keep our heads above water by doing a bit of freelancing work as a studio and then got cut a deal with Codemasters to do IndyCar racing, which is basically my, so this was my first foray into racing games. And I've never been a petrol head. It's one of those weird things. I've done an awful lot of racing games, um, but I'm not, I'm not a petrol head. I'm not a big racing games fan, but as a game designer, that's quite a good thing that you get to sort of almost look at or look at racing and look at racing games in a very detached, right. impassionate manner, which this is, is not my which thing, is but needs. let's just make it entertaining. Mm-hmm. For people who are, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. It's it's very much a, it, it it's. I think you can if you're too obsessed by something by a particular theme or a genre, I think you can almost get too buried deep into what you want to make that game. Yeah. And, and, and as a game designer, it's you know I, I, one of the things I, I do I do a bit of teaching and things like that at the moment. One of the things I teach people as I tell people is, is kind of hardcore gamers generally make the worst game designers because. They're so into something yeah. that they've blinkered. Best, they can't. Best example I can give of that is um, a lot of um, self-made sort of like enthusiast-made mm-hmm. mods, or mm-hmm. enthusiast-made. Someone tried to remake a Wing Commander game, like make a new Wing Commander mm-hmm. game, and they did it. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. It's, just, mm-hmm. it's terrible. It's just, just total mm-hmm. lack of understanding of what it takes to actually make a fun and entertaining game, and it was just mm-hmm. complete fan service to things that people didn't really care about and it's just like mm-hmm. that's why you don't do this for a living you know, no, absolutely. And it, it, you know part of the secret of, of being a game designer isn't so much about being able to play games obviously that is a part of it but it's about it's more about watching other people play your games it's it's you know i describe it it's it's like as a game designer you're not the puppet you're the puppet master yeah yeah. You know, just, the, the, the player is your marionette. So, so exactly. it's, you're not looking at the. Yeah. So as a DM, a former DM mm-hmm. or current DM, whatever you put it, yeah, yeah. that's similar. You know, you're having to. You know, it's not quite adversary. It's never adversary or the referee, uh, but mm-hmm. you're creating a world where other people inhabit and experience. Yeah, yeah, and you're tailoring your world to the audience, yes. to the player, yes. not to your own. You know, the worst DMs in role-playing games are the ones who basically have their big NPC come along and do everything that the players can't and solve the problem. They're the old deus ex machina sort of thing, you know what I mean? It, it, it's sort of like you're you're there to service the player. You're there to entertain the player. You're there to um, 
to sort of make sure they're having a good time. That's your primary motive. Yeah. You're not yeah. there to sort of write the necessarily sort of live out your some sort of your your, your own weird fantasies. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of it's it, it, it's very very important. It's all about how does the player feel? What is his reaction? How are they how are they absorbing the experience that you've created for them? And if they're not taking on board the emotions and the feelings and the sensations and the, the frustrations and the excitement that you, that they ought to be, then you need to change your game. It's not, it's not the player is at fault. It's your game is at fault and you need to be able to modify that game to, to make, to, 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 to evoke those sensations, those aesthetics in a player. Okay. So let's just fast forward a little bit. And, uh, so you obviously you worked on a lot of racing games. Um, yeah, so from Brain in a Jar, I went to Evolution Studios. Right. And so at Evolution Studios, I started working on the. I think I, I joined at uh, WRC three, lead designer on WRC four, did a bit of work on WRC five, and then we were kind of signed up to do a launch title for PlayStation. So basically, I ended up as lead designer on Motorstorm. Uh. And Motorstorm was kind of the, the fulfilling of this kind of watching the player stuff that, that, that we, what we tried to do with Motorstorm. And it's, you know, it's still a good game. It's quite flawed in places, but we, we were, it was, the PS3 was a very hard platform to write for and doing a launch title for PS3 was just a nightmare. I bet, because so we I remember that quite... sort of target render, as people call it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't your game, so yep. it was Motorstorm. You never said that. I don't think you did. I know no. the Killzone people did. <laughs> we, did, we did do a target render and we got slated for it because some people said it was actual gameplay footage. Now, the target render was a very valid thing to do because we had no hardware. We had <laughs> no, we didn't know what we wanted. So we, we did the render to go, right, this is, this is what we want to aim for. This is the, the sort of benchmark at which we want to try and do it. And actually, the target render succeeded in evoking, in, in my mind, it was, it, was, it was evoking, again, emotions and sensations and feelings and, the, and, and things like that, rather than necessarily looking at just the hard graphical fidelity of it. Yeah, more... yeah, and you're right. It did invoke the dirt sort of off-road, like Skid Marks, like game from the mm-hmm. Giga days. It reminded yeah. me a lot of that, and uh, I love Motorstorm games. Yeah, I thought they were great. They, they, they were they're absolutely knockabouts fun, and, and again, that this is going back to the whole player stuff. Is is the, the as a, is the lead design? You know, my my my. My mantra on Motorstorm was wasn't so much we when we were moving away from doing a simulation of driving. Driving simulation is they make interesting games, but they're they're, they're very limited. And and also at the same time is is basically your average player isn't as talented as Seb Loeb. He's not a world class rally driver. You can't make them do the same things as a world class rally driver. There is a world class rally driver. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely you've got but but actually you need to evoke the emotions and the sensations yes. Yes. so that you make you flatter them and make them feel like they're a world-class rally driver without actually going through the physical rigmarole of being it yeah. so the, the kind of mantra on motorstorm was you know that we always said that the ai isn't there to win the race the ai is there to entertain um challenge and there was one other thing that I can't quite remember, but basically those were his prime motivations. So you know, in most time, it was the AI was would basically always be aware of where the player's looking, and if a player was looking at them, they'd do something entertaining, whether that be crash into a wall, ram a biker off the road, or just flick the bird at you. You know what I mean? It was all about that sort of what's going on around you, having that amazing sensation, and and, and kind of 
yeah, okay, you know, as, as long as it, we always tried to make, so there was a lot of smoke and mirrors going on. We always tried to make the races feel fair, but actually there was a lot more going on under the hood there. And it was basically, it was very situational. It was very, like, where's the player looking? What's the player doing? And the AI was reacting to the player, not necessarily being an entity that was just trying to win the race. It was, it was trying to just entertain the player and have a blast. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it really shone through that. I love those games. I love, I love the fact you did a PST version as well. That was lovely. Uh, I didn't expect that when that came out. Like, oh, that's lovely. It's in a big orange box as well. That's nuts. And yeah. It really, it was, I played it about six months ago for reasons I won't go into. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely game. Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I did Motorstorm. I did the first Motorstorm. I did Motorstorm. I was game director on Motorstorm Pacific Rift. Um, I did some of the early design work on Motorstorm Apocalypse. I consulted on the PSP version, the Arctic Edge stuff, yeah. and basically just bummed around. By this point, we were kind of fe- full in the throes of the, the corporate mach- sausage machine that was Sony, <laughs> so, uh, which is good, and it was a nice experience, but I, I just, I was, I, I, I had enough after a while. I was just like, I couldn't, it was hard to get traction to make interesting stuff after a while because it was it, by its nature those large triple a organization those large organizations making triple a games are innately conservative and one thing yes. i'm not a game designer is conservative you know what i mean i want to do weird interesting things That's but right. unfortunately when they're spending millions and millions you know corporations like sony don't always want to spend millions and millions and millions of pounds making weird interesting things no. so there's kind of sometimes a bit of do. a it's weird sometimes it's weird. Do, but, yeah yeah, but you have to be in with the in crowd sort of thing, you know, I mean, yeah. to get that sort of stuff. And, and so Sony and I parted ways. I then went freelance. And since then, I've been doing that for, what, five, six years now. And in that time, I've done a been all over the place, basically some stuff, you know, working for consultancy for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or, or just full projects. So I projects such as I did the my first step into adventure games, doing the, the Doctor Who point and clicks down at okay. Sumo, the BBC. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then I got, doing that, I got to know Charles Cecil. Lovely uh, man. He's been on the show. Lovely man. Cool. I love, I love Charles. Yeah. Charles is amazing. Yeah. Um, so after, I built a relationship with Charles and then I went to work with them, with Revolution, doing Broken Sword 5. So I was lead designer on Broken Sword 5, uh, the kickstarter one. Uh, yes, and again, he came on to show, talk about that. That's just, that's just a, love a full circle. Very small industry. It's got to be small. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings us up to current, current day because we're going to move on now. If I'm yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. To this is I love this question, although it's very hard to answer. And you may think, oh, Chris, come on, this is too open ended. But we can narrow it down. As a creator of things, what is your what are your biggest influences? Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. To come me. on, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a hard one, really. I, I influences. I, I draw influences from everywhere. I'm, I'm kind of one of these people who just. So I'm a sponge. I can spend hours just reading Wikipedia. I'm interested in everything. You know, I, I, I like knowledge for knowledge's sake, and so it's kind of. And but in terms of gaming, I'm. I love all aspects of gaming. So I, I will draw stuff from board games, from role playing games, from. Uh, live role playing. I've you know I've run a lot of LRP style events, a lot of murder mystery style stuff. I enjoy I think my influences. I enjoy entertaining people and through play, I guess. So it is kind of you know. It, 
but in terms of actually narrowing that down to what a specific influences. Sorry, I'm I'm blathering now. You see, to find time Told to actually you, think of because it's like you know what is, I like to say is what what do you find yourself orbiting? No matter what you do, you always find yourself latching on to this thing or things. What in terms of media or that I digest or maybe hmm? just like what what gets your juices flowing more than just the concept of the idea itself, but what 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 populates that idea? What fuels it? The creative process. I love making shit up. Right. <laughs> um, that sounds really weird. So, but and, and in some way, act of creation inspired. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, and just trying to do something a little bit different and put a little spin on stuff and things like that. So it's kind of hard to pin down in terms of name checking a big liturgy of, of like you know movies and books and mm. and other games and things like that because I, I look at a lot of things, but I at the same time I always try to not copy stuff directly. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, if there's 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 respectful sort of um, influence by mm-hmm. but, you know photocopying is you know mm-hmm. that's that's not on. Mm-hmm. But to be inspired by and say, yeah. that's a good idea. Let's infuse, let's use that part of that thing. Mm-hmm. Let's put that into our game and then twist it. Absolutely. And it's, it's, yeah. it's a whole standing on the shoulder of giants thing. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. oh, that's a nice mechanic. That's a nice thing. I, you know, and that's, that's, that they, they do that in an interesting way. How can I put a twist on that to turn that from, you know, how they're deploying that in an adventure game to actually deploy it into a racing game or, or whatever, you know what I mean? And just those sort of real, almost sort of the thing that gets me going is, is game mechanics and the low level juices of how the sort of, again, the sort of how games affect people. And, and if you do, you know, if I change one number, you'll stop being bored and you'll start being excited. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and that's, that's the stuff I find really interesting. I love watching people play games whether that's watching them play board games or watching them play video games or, or just how just, you know, very much a people watcher in that respect and how, you know, those, you drive people through that sort of, you've basically got a series of, 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 of zeros and ones effectively that, that basically have this effect, this emotional effect on people and how they will essentially role play. You know what I mean? It's a good game. You will always end up role playing. You, you know, whether it's a, you, in a driving game, you're not. The player isn't driving a car. He's basically pressing a few buttons. That's all it's it is. They're controlling a box on the screen. It's a, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. they think, you know, they, they they're absorbed in the moment. They're role playing, being a racing driver. They're role playing, being a commando. They're role playing, being a a uh, you know a a a, a plumber who's in this weird world of of pipes and or monsters. Space, or a space marine. Again. Mm-hmm. Or, or a big space marine with a saw in his gun, which makes mm-hmm. no sense. All mm-hmm. of those things. I yeah, so, I mean, in some ways, it's coming back full circle to my role-playing roots, you know what I mean? That whole kind of taking on a persona, t- taking on a, a role and, and, and acting it out in a way that, you know, that is defined for you by a invisible hand of the GM, or in this case, the game designer. And this is why streamers and people, though, don't quite fight them a bit, but you and I clearly do, this is what the this is what the appeal is because you're watching people react to mm. what's happening on the screen. You know, the, the ones yeah. with ones with the, the webcams on them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not because of, you know, it, it's not a, um, a voyeur thing. It's all about they're sharing their experience with you, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what that's why people watch them. That's why I watch yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And not, that, it, yeah, go on. The whole the whole Twitch thing was bizarre. The whole kind of it was one of those things. Being an, you know, I'm an old man now. I kind of in my late forties, and it's kind of when the whole Twitch thing came along. I go, that's wrong. That just seems weird. Yeah. And, and you know, watching what I'm watching a video of somebody playing a game. Why don't I just play the game? No. And so I thought, well, okay, it's my job. I better go down and watch this stuff. And then I just for like. A, month you couldn't get me off twitch no it's i was amazing just... it's just like... yeah, yeah and there's so many really good stuff it's just so entertaining and yeah, yeah. it's just my and it's not just league of legends everyone it's just everything everything mm-hmm. I, I myself stream i do retro games and it's just so much right. fun to yeah, yeah. Stream, stream from a spectrum mm-hmm. <laughs> just... the, one, the one that really got me was critical role where you got all the voice actors playing D. yeah uh, and they're really good, they're and the really, DM is really good, really good. Yeah. and it's really entertaining. And, and yeah. you know what I mean. But it's, it's like if you asked me ten years ago, he's like, "Do you want to watch somebody as an audience, as a, as a viewer, watch live Dungeons and Dragons on the telly?" You think oh, that sounds a bit crap and and a, and a bit embarrassing, really. But actually, they really, really pull it off. It's amazing. Yeah, and I, I've uh, been to Acquisitions Incorporated. Like, yeah, Pax, yeah, and I always mm-hmm. go to their shows, and I, it's a show. You're watching people play D and D. Yeah, they're really, really funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, you know. So yeah, that whole yeah, it's, that's a great answer to respond saying, well, just the sheer act of creation and in entertaining people. That's mm-hmm. what inspires me and influences mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So in the industry, and this one's another tough one. I told you it sort of escalates into ludicrousness. But what? Uh, who do you most admire in the industry and why? Wow. Who do I most admire? I was always a massive fan of Will Wright. I always thought Will Wright was one of these guys who was, I met him a couple of times and he's really softly spoken, but actually he's kind of, I mean, he hasn't done much for many years, but when he was, when he was on the boil, when he was hot, he was hot. You know, he was just, he he was at the right place at the right time with the right ideas and the, the right backers to just throw money at him and let him do some of the sort of, real left of center stuff you think of like you know sim city and 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 the sims and all those kind of things are actually you know very much massive curveballs in terms of sort of what the industry was doing it's it's like it's not you know suddenly it's like no it's not about shooting aliens in the face it's about city planning or this kind of doll's house thing uh and stuff like that and you know back in the day i guess i was i was i loved you know, this back in my childhood, the stuff that Lord British would turn out, I always thought his stuff had a kind of nice, interesting spin on the role-playing genre, the computer role-playing genre. It wasn't just about um, the numbers. It wasn't about the mechanics. He always tried to inject quite a lot of um, emotional content into the stuff that it is. didn't always work, but, you know, a lot of the time was 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 really, really solid. I'm trying to think, well, who else is? Um, Mr. Cecil? Yeah, Charles. I mean, Charles. <laughs> I work with him because the thing is, I work with Charles quite a lot, and it, it's kind of. Um, I, I and and again, I was never a massive point and clicker up until I worked with Charles. Right. So I would I would cite him as a great colleague. Unfortunately, Charles, if you're listening, you're not a hero. <laughs> or a hero to me. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think some. I loved the whole uh, again designers who cut their own path. The whole sort of uh, Jeff Minter stuff. Yeah, batshit crazy. 
Yeah, um, still at it. Just doing I his own thing. I was playing Tempest on my Jaguar the other day. Wow, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I was there. I was at Imagitech. We actually did a lot of the music for Tempest 2000 on the Jaguar. Oh, right. The original well, Jaguar well, stuff. Well done on I was that. Actually, my, 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 little, my little room was next door to the room of the guy who did a lot of the music for Tempest 2000, so I heard a lot of that insane banging techno. And this is kind of back in the late 80s, early 90s, so I was well into that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just, just the designers who do crazy shit, I guess. Those are, the, those are my heroes, people who, who find their own path, who don't just go through the motions and sort of, like, you know, create cookie-cutter content for the masses. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, a, you know, there's, there's, there's room for all that kind of stuff. And, you can, you, and, and, and sometimes you, you, the right person can ride, find the right funding to do something really weird and crazy and interesting that is mainstream and does kind of hit that zeitgeist and sells, like, hotcakes. Um, but it's, it, you know, on the whole, we're, we're in a very conservative industry, understandably so, because games are so risky to make and so expensive to make that nobody just wants to throw money at any old crazy Luna comes along and decides they want to do, I want sheep in space, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, no, you can't have 10 million pounds, <laughs> uh, but, but there's an ox in it. He's not helping yeah. your cause any, there's yeah, a yeah. llama. All right. You might, we might be onto something now. Um, <laughs> um, last question. I have to legally ask you this because we're t- it's a video game podcast. So, uh, satire, by the way. What are you playing right now? Civ Six. I'm a massive Civ head. Really? I I, yeah. I empathise. I remember playing Civ on the Amiga decades and decades ago. No idea mm-hmm. what it was because back then we didn't know anything, did we? Really? And I. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I, I've played everyone. Yes. To death. Yeah. Um, and it's weird it's almost like now it's my it's my comfort blanket it's my go-to chill out relax center myself just sort of game because it's turn-based i don't have to it's not frantic i can just think through stuff you can kind of role play you can project onto it a little bit it's kind of quite board gamey and i love my board games and etc etc it's always been a very much a go-to game for me so and and i think they've done a sterling job with civ 6 Shame that my PC's just bricked itself. So, um, oh, um, so I can't, yeah. I, unfortunately, I, you know, I've got it on my. Uh, I managed to get it working on my old Mac. It's not very pretty, but right. it works on my. So I, I can get my fix. But yeah, so that's my thing. Is you can have Civ Six, and obviously I've been playing a lot of since the PSVR release. I've been playing a lot of um, VR games. So yes. loving Thumper, Thumper, and Res. isn't it? Thumper and Res are and and, and tethered. Just to be clear, yep. I'm not saying I'm mm-hmm. talking to you. They're the three mm-hmm. I've been playing. I, I yeah. love Thumper, but dear God, that freaks me out. That game is just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, All I, kind of weird HP Lovecraft sort of tentacly shit yeah, coming out. And, going, yeah, and then they see the corners come out going, look, I know I need to go left, right, left, right, left, right, left, 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 right. But my mm-hmm. brain's going, you're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so glorious. I love Thumper. Mm-hmm. And Rez... Um, I'm going to have a confession here and I'll, I'll put it on video anyway because I've streamed it the other mm. day because I streamed the Dreamcast version of Rez, of Rez mm. in, in, in sort of respect to the re-release of it on PSVR mm. and I never got to Area 5 right never did it I couldn't do couldn't get past Area 4 and I did it on mm. PSVR because it's easier <laughs> mm-hmm. you can yeah. look around it's yep, yep, easier yep, yep, yep. 
Well, I know, Brian, I loved it on the Dreamcast. I, lo- I loved all the original. I was back in the day. I was, I was, I was a, I, you know, that, that, that sort of music, that sort of psychedelic madness. Yeah. I, I just, I was well into it back in the day and it's only, you know, it, it, it's like, it's like a fine wine. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's aged really well. Yes. Uh, and just in VR, it's just his natural place, really. 14 um, years. Mm-hmm. The game's 14 years old. And mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it. No, 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 no. <laughs> it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's a glorious, glorious thing. Mm-hmm. So, Nigel, that's the end of the first half of the show. Hallelujah. Yeah, he did well. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, but we've got a second half now where we delve quite deep, I like to think, into Tether. This is the first question. It's also known as the zeroth question because it's not really a question. <laughs> it's your turn, your time to stand and do your pitch for Tethered for our beloved audience. What is Tethered? So, Tethered is a virtual reality strategy game for the <coughs> PlayStation VR where you uh, take on the role of a god. It's a god game in the, in the, the old long lineage of god games. And you basically command a lot of little creatures called peeps. Peeps are cute little fellas who basically fall from the sky as eggs and you hatch them out and then you've got to nurture them. So to nurture them, you've got to do the old God game stuff and make sure they're well fed, give them places to, you know, things to do, build up a, a village infrastructure and basically... Um, make sure that they don't fall into despair because when they fall into despair, they're going to get bored and they're going to fling themselves off this magical floating world that you start on. Uh, the game's all about collecting spirit energy. Spirit energy is this kind of uh, primordial essence that permeates everything in the world. And basically, so there's various mechanisms in the game by which you can turn various things into raw spirit energy, collect spirit energy. It's very much a, the spirit energy is a driver, is the kind of mechanism by which we, we kind of, um, the heartbeat by which we kind of give you a sort of timer, a clock, so to speak, in the game. Because during the day, it's kind of got this whole day-night cycle going on on the islands, and during the day, everything's calm and beautiful and serene. There's no real danger or threat to your to, to your peeps. But at night time, a whole bunch of... Um, nasty little creatures crawl out from underneath the island and basically try and eat all your resources and your peeps so you kind of prepare by day and survive by night is the kind of mantra that we put onto it um the minecraft model as i call it yeah yeah the day night cycle is is very much that so i mean to be honest talking more about the game design side of it the day night cycle was was something that arrived a little bit later in the actual development of it at the end we had Earlier, we had a kind of almost drip feed of critters into the system, and we realised that actually 
we needed to sort of punctuate the peril a little bit. We needed to sort of, you know, it wasn't, didn't, we need to, we need waves and a way of kind of really kind of building up the whole sense of peril in it because it was kind of, a, it was a bit flat. Yeah. Some of the early iterations. You need serenity. Oh God, oh God. Serenity. Mm-hmm. Oh God, oh God. Serenity. Mm-hmm. No, we're dead. Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic uh, description of the game. Uh, it is, and it's one of those games until you've experienced it, it's not impossible to be to describe. Although we mm-hmm. have described various tropes and it's it's a god game, but mm-hmm. you've said it's a VR god game. This is a exclusive to the PlayStation VR. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! How does this work? Mm-hmm. So my first question, first proper question, so it's number one, um, is um, the viewpoint over which the player sees the island. There's a floating island. Mm-hmm. It's in the sky. Mm-hmm. To really explain properly, which is awesome, don't worry. And then it's floating, and you've got little peeps walking around in it. Uh, and there's your, your main shrine, which the peeps mm-hmm. worship, but you see it from a fixed viewpoint, and yes. the viewpoint can move based on the clouds that are fixed clouds, they don't move. Yeah, that now I'm going to ask the question why the fixed view? I think I know the answer to this, but I want to hear from you. Comfort. Right. Absolutely, comfort is that. But we wanted to create a VR experience that anybody could absorb themselves in. Um, some of the guys at Secret Sorcery did a lot of early prototype work at Evolution on um, VR stuff, and, and kind of found quite early on that it's it's not so much. I know there's a, there's a bit of a sort of trope where it's like, oh, I don't want to play VR; it makes me sick. But it's actually more of a sliding scale. The more things like velocity and movement and horizon movement and stuff like that that you do in VR, the more chance you've got of making someone feel a bit queasy. Yeah. Um, so it, it was purposeful that actually just being static, being able to look around the world and just kind of look at a cloud and being able to jump across to it and look around at a diff- from a different angle was very much one of our really early sort of uh, pillars of gameplay that we we established just because uh, we really thought you know this is a way that we the, a way that we can pretty much guarantee that nobody is going to feel sick and then so a lot of the game mechanics a lot of the game design was built around that precept yeah because i had visions of you could have easily had it so you took control of a floating cloud and just went mm-hmm. whizzing round uh, mm-hmm. soon after which um, you'd be paying a very quick trip to the bathroom Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, you, you're right, you would have just um, it would have been um, heaving. <laughs> because mm-hmm. to do that, um, you know, you do sort of zip between each. Mm-hmm. each does, so there's, there's a sense of motion there, but it, mm-hmm. you you prepare yourself. Yeah, right? yeah. You you gear yourself. Up, right, I'm going to move to this cloud. I'm going to move to this cloud. Press, mm-hmm. and you do that. You immediately um, sort of dematerialize and move to the, your your viewpoint because mm-hmm. you never see the, your hand because. Well, you're a god, and you're sort of yeah, yeah. You're beyond time and space, so yeah. And, and it's all about your gaze. I mean, that's the the other yeah. the other cool mechanic that we discovered is just works perfectly in VR is the fact that your your, your face is an amazing mouse pointer. Correct. You we know? haven't spoken about that, but that's this is related to this this question, and that in order to select your peeps and ask them to do things. I say ask them very carefully uh, to say, you know, go and get that or, or mm-hmm. go and do that, be a farmer or be a mm-hmm. warrior and kill that thing. Mm-hmm. You basically mm-hmm. just press, you know, the, um, you, you press the, I think it's cross. Well, you, you yeah. look at, yeah, you so look it's, at like a, it's like a sentence creation. It's subject, object. So, yeah. so you look at your subject, you look at your peep yeah. and you press, the, press and hold the X button. Yeah. You then look at your object, the thing you want them to do and, 
um, release X, and that creates. Well, that's where tethered comes from. It creates a connection. So, in the, in the case of tethered, it's like this ethereal um, sort of line that connects the two things together, mm-hmm. and effectively, it's giving you a subject and object sentence. So, everything is context sensitive, and we worked very hard to make sure that there were as few contexts. That everything has a context, and they're all quite different. But there's only one, generally one context. You like look at you, and I look at uh, say, if I look at a a set of trees i look at peep and i look at then i look at a set of trees and let go of x i know that that peep is going to chop down you know why i want that peep to chop down the the trees and it's all very logical and sensible and 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 works really really well it's it's just it seems so intuitive you know i mean just looking at something looking at something else away you go yeah and then obviously the, the the pace of the gameplay builds up by then having multiple iterations of these things that are happening over various times you know so you can upgrade um, buildings, and you can. Mm-hmm. It's, it gets quite complex, layer upon layer. And is it? Mm-hmm. This is a strictly a god game, everyone. It is very much of that of that ilk. Mm-hmm. Don't don't be uh, deceived. This is very much a good game in that you do select with your head as opposed to a mouse pointer, mm-hmm. and it's just very intuitive. Like I want to go over there. You just mm-hmm. move your head, and it's great. And you can also yep. control the weather and create things mm-hmm. and make rainbows. Uh, I loved yep. I loved it when I made a pub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you control the weather, you control your peeps, you, you get your peeps to fight stuff, they harvest resources, they bring the resources back, you can then get them to build various structures, you can upgrade those structures to do various different functions, you can, um, and you know, the, 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 there's quite a lot of different contexts depending on what you build and what you do, and ultimately it's all about harvesting spirit energy from the world, so, but there's there's many, many different paths to that to turning um, things in the world into spirit energy um, as quickly as possible because the whole day-night cycle thing, and the, 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 the longer you play for, the tougher it gets. So the more nights that you progress through, the critters get harder and more aggressive and, and kind of, you know, so it's all about how quickly can I manipulate all these various elements in the world and get my little peep worshippers doing the things that I want to do to basically turn the world into spirit energy, absorb the spirit energy, and finish the level. Yes. I'm going to come on to the power of spirit energy in a minute, but I want to ask you about the audio, because I'm... The audio is amazing, isn't it? I've been blown away by this, and there's a lot of audio cues Mm -hmm. to help the player uh, to to, to understand where things are happening. Yeah, I mean... There's a lot of directional audio. So how... Yeah, go on. it's VR. So right. the, the, one of the problems we found developing a VR game was was you don't really know where the player's going to be looking. No. And there's lots of things happening in the world. And the thing is, it's not like a, a flat game where you kind of most of the things are encapsulated on the screen. It, it's kind of very much the player, while everything is kicking off, the player could be just staring at a nice pretty flower, going, oh, that's pretty. Um, but she's like, hey, I want you to look over here. And and it, so it's, and we, we, we struggled for quite a while, but then realised that actually it's just like real life, that if you want somebody's attention and they're not looking at you, you go, oi, over here. Um, and that's kind of what we do. We baked in a lot of, so when things happen in the game, everything from like when a cloud appears, when a cloud disappears, when a peep is upset, when he wants something from you, when he's praying to you to sort of tell you to do something, when a building's constructed, when a when a piece of ice defrosts and everything like that, they've all got their own little audio cues that kind of draw your attention towards them in a directional kind of way. The beauty thing that I really 
Kenny, our, our audio bod, who he did the music for um, Little Bit Planet. Oh, okay. Insanely talented guy. Um, and the way that they basically, so all these cues, they re- he recorded them all in different keys. And then we kind of, we tend to unleash the cues on the beat of the music. So it doesn't end up sounding like a cacophony. Right. So he basically yeah. plays it in the right key of the music and on the beat. Right. Because so can... wait, wait. So it kind of all blends into this seamless sort of uh, tapestry of, of sort of musical musicality in the world. So, so yes, all right. This is you know this sound effect has a function. It's drawing your attention, but it, it, it appears at the right time. So it doesn't seem it doesn't clash with the music. It, it works with the music. It adds to the music. Mm. Um, Otherwise, it would have been a din. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have this horrible cacophony of stuff that just like I, I, I can't figure out what's going on because it's just these all these conflicting noises, sort of playing with my brain. But actually, the way the way they've done it, I, I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm a gog at how good uh, the music is. I absolutely adore the music and the fact that it's all kind of quite chilled. He uses a lot of traditional instruments. Um, you know, it's really laid back and but just beautiful, ambient, really suits the world and the look of the world. And just it kind of really helps that sense of immersion of just being in this sort of beautiful little. It's like playing because it, it, the whole world is kind of laid out in front of you like it's on a tabletop. So it's like playing, being a child and playing with your little toy soldiers and making bits of scenery for them and stuff like that. It's that sort of because you're a god, you're so much bigger than everything else. You're looking down on this world and just playing you know yeah uh, and it, everything kind of stitches together and it, it, it's kind of and the same with the gameplay as well it, it, it's kind of while it is a god game while it's a strategy game it's not we didn't want to overburden the player with too much stuff we wanted to we almost kind of seduce the player that we give them this world and we, we start you very gently in this world and we allow you to play around with it and then slowly we introduce game mechanics and um rules and gameplay bits but we kind of we do it in a very seductive manner that the fact you don't realize that you're playing a you know a strategy game until it's kind of you're in it and yet you're having to do all these things you're having to balance you know you're having to spin lots of plates and and figure out sort of resource levels and stuff like that but we don't do it with big screens we don't do it as we don't you're not driving a spreadsheet like you are with a lot of uh, strategy games we really want something that's much more suited to the console that, that kind of yeah. you know allows you that, that leads you by the hand into this that gives a lot of visual and audio clues rather than just cold hard numbers the, the cold hard numbers are there if you want them but they're kind of tucked away yeah um, i mean this is that's much more yeah sorry tethered is not stellaris just to be clear um you know yeah. they are both strategy games but they're very different strategy games uh, and you do you're right you do uh, ease people into uh, almost a false sense of security. Like, oh, I got this. This is QT, and oh god! And then but... <laughs> it's all gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So spirit power, spirit energy, as you say, um, it's the ultimate resource that the player is trying to gather from the peeps. Mm. Yet it's rather difficult to acquire. Uh, uh, generally speaking, and you had certain events, certain things have to happen. You have to kill monsters. You have to make certain buildings and all sorts of things. Why mm. is it? The, why are so many barriers there, and how do you think you communicate this efficiently to the player? It's there, so it's 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 not. I guess we don't make it. Didn't want to make it too obvious of, of how to get it because we wanted the player to discover the various strategies of acquiring it, and it, and it's almost it acts like a 
like a playset. It, it's like it's your reward, it's your timer, it's your way to sort of progress through the game. But we wanted the player to kind of almost stumble across how to get this spirit energy from there, from you know, okay, a peep. When he dies, he turns it into spirit energy. When a critter dies, he turns it into spirit energy. I could turn resources into spirit energy, but I, as you say, I need a building to turn that in there. It, it's kind of, it's basically, it, it's our lord and master mechanic that rules over everything because that's the thing that drives the pace of the game. Um, so it, it, it's kind of, it's hard to get hold of because we want the player to work for it. That is your ultimate goal. But at the same time, we wanted the player to just enjoy themselves, really, and kind of almost be, you know, it's not like, like having a ticker, having a score going up and up and up or a time limit or something like that is kind of too much, too in your face, really, for a game like this. It's kind of quite relaxed and chilled out. So it's almost like just by doing the things that we ask you to do and then kind of playing around with things, you're inadvertently progressing through the level. Uh, so there's, you know, and and, and the, 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 the way we measure people is on how quickly they did. The leaderboards are based on how quickly you can finish the level. But if you want to take three hours, to do a level and then then that's up to you really that's kind of you know that's quite a feat though because normally you get overwhelmed very quickly mm-hmm. uh, I mm-hmm. found if you if you if you um tarry for too long very bad things happen yeah and uh, mm-hmm. it does escalate very quickly but you, yeah. yeah although you can get it in a steady state there is you know it's kind of it's we we, we intentionally balanced it in such a way that that actually if you want a if you don't want to be faced with all this stuff you can keep going you can keep through it and i was looking at some of the analytics actually from the game now the game's live and and you know we have had people spending two three four hours playing some of the levels right and that must be it. And, and, and and even on the user test i had a friend of mine who, who she just loved being in the world and she was almost didn't want to collect the spirit energy because she knew by collecting the spirit energy the game would be over and she didn't want to leave this world which is quite nice yeah because it is- and, and that's 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 kind of, you know, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. You know what I mean? Some games kind of almost force you towards the goalposts, regardless of what you, what you, what, how you want to experience it. They're just kind of pushing you, constantly pushing you forward in a direction. And it's kind of like, if the player is happy doing what they're doing, it's their game. Yeah. They're enjoying themselves, then, then winner. You know what I mean? So, so you, it, it, it's, we never, it's, we never make things ridiculous. Ridiculously hard. It does get tough in places, but there's always that kind of. You can always just keep going, yeah. regardless of how rubbish you are. You can always just keep going, and keep going, and keep going. Um, which you know is a bit of a double-edged sword. It means people will get through the content that you produce, and quite often, you know, sometimes game difficulty is there to mask a lack of content. Sometimes, um, and but you know, it's cool. I want people to experience it. I want people to be in our little world of tethered and, and just have a cool, chilled out time. But there's a there's a there's game there. You know, it's oh, not yeah. just a yeah, it's not just experiential. There is a game there, but it it, it 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 rises up to meet you if you wanna if you wanna push those times. If you wanna get a fast time, you've really got to work for it. This is you not, really yeah, yeah. tethered is not Proteus again. Nothing wrong with Proteus, but mm-hmm. it's not that. It is very much a game. I think we've established that. And I'm mm-hmm. going to sign off from the last question. I know it's sad, you know, all good things come to an end. But uh, oh, well. but uh, this one, this is the, the pinnacle, I think. Uh, I've been thinking long, long hard this, and it's just three words. Why the melancholy? Why are the peeps so prone to chronic depression in a very uh, uh, short period of time? 
I know all the answers again. I'm not putting, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear it from it's, you. It, 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 it's a driver. Right. It, it drives. So, they, yeah, you see, if you don't do anything with them, they will fall in despair and they will kill themselves. And we want it to be, we, wanted, we don't want you to kill your peeps. We want your peeps to survive. And the best way to motivate a player is to basically play with their heartstrings. So, and there's so many people when they see a peep fall into despair and just walk to the edge of the world and fling themselves off into the into the void, they're so upset yeah. by it. They're so it's upset by it that they, they that they, they they will do everything in their power not to do that again. Yeah. Positive reinforcement. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you don't want this to happen, do you? Because that's really sad. Yeah. And, and 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 it's the best way to do it. You know, it's kind of you can have all these kind of artificial rules and constraints and stuff like that. But the best way, you know, it, it's kind of the best way to, to get someone to behave in a way that you want them to do, which is kind of part of game design, really. It's motivating, motivating people to, to, to behave in a particular way. And by, you know, giving you such dramatic and contrasting consequences to negative actions just really, really drills it into people that actually I don't want that to happen again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's cool. It works. It really does work. Oh, yeah. I mean, you get, you get the odd weirdo, or not weirdo, but you get a lot of people who kind of revel in the in the, in the mass suicide of their peeps. But I'm sure there's some sort of uh, void camera <laughs> test or something like that. Is like, how do you feel about that committed? That, that, well, that uh, and then again, um, I mean, I played The Sims. You probably played The Sims. You made the room with no doors and just watched them die. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've yeah, all yeah. done that. But then again, they were probably annoying you, right? So. <laughs> so needy yeah. shut up mm. shut, okay right that's it no door for you no mm-hmm. that's it you can just uh, die in your own filth but no I just found yeah. it fascinating when I played it at uh, EGX was, I know it wasn't a, you know the actual game just to be clear anyone who played at EGX as a as a, a version of it a hypened version of the game it's mm-hmm. actually a much more sedate experience not too sedate but it is much more sort of leveled and designed experience mm-hmm. Uh, that it eases you into the to to, 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 to tethered, um, but uh, when I uh, but um, unfortunately things escalated very quickly and eventually mm-hmm. they started topping themselves off and it was quite sad. In fact, more mm-hmm. than sad, it was, it, it was devastating to me. Like, what have I done? Well, I was like, oh, thank God, mm-hmm. this is just a demo. I actually swore to myself, like, when I get this game, it's just I'm not, I'm not going to let mm-hmm. that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you did assure me after I pulled the headset off. He goes, don't worry, Chris, it's okay. So right, that that that, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So uh, yeah, but uh, no, thanks for fleshing that out. I really appreciate it. and uh, love the uh, love the game. Tethered is uh, it's out on PlayStation VR right now, um, and um, yeah, well done with it because it's uh, no thanks. I mean, it, it, it's kind of it's great. It, it's absolutely as a team we 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 kind of really revel in it in the fact that we've made something quirky, different interesting and fun that people seem to appreciate so often in the games industry you kind of end up it, it's, it can be a bit of a sausage factory it can be very disheartening sometimes you know that you're just going through the motions of making something and and then you know conversely when you make something a bit left of center people don't get it but people seem to get to that they resonate with it uh we've got an amazing team and i think you know a, a good vet, mixture of veterans and excited sort of young talent and uh, and I think it, it's great that the fact that we can kind of get traction with something that, that isn't about shooting people in the face that isn't about driving million pound sports cars that is just pure uh, laid back 
entertainment a strategy as well you know i mean i love strategy games and and it's just getting and and i think i you know i'm quite evangelical i think everybody should love strategy games but there's such a barrier to entry with them quite often that yeah. we want to make something that just lets anybody and i you know and it literally when you know when, when we demoed it at egx we had everything from small children up through to sort of grandmothers and parents who don't only play games and we put the headset on them and they loved it and and it and it's kind of you can't do that normally with strategy games but we kind of we we've we, we hit we, you know we managed to hit it on the head and it, you know part of that is is just through careful deciding what we wanted and how we wanted to approach it and part of it is just you know the stars were right uh, yes. quite chuffed yes. quite chuffed no you've done well you've done well and thank uh thank you for for making it and yeah. sharing your thoughts and your design decisions with us on this show so thank you thank you you're very welcome chris it's been a pleasure and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory, and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stablemate podcast shall we say of spong.com bye